Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in. Where's Huddle with me, Bram? With me, per usual, my master of all things video and sound, Maxime. How's it going? Maxime, I'm fired up to announce that rejoining us after hell of long, a pious hoophead who once hit a stop sign and kept going on the advice of family, a Warriors fan <laughs> with an unimpeachable resume who used his political knowledge to become best friends with the Donald Foyle, and an occasional co-host on this show who I would bet any amount of money did not listen to our last podcast with Ben Cruz, Mr. Marcus Taylor. What's going on, MT? Hey, I did not listen, but I'm sure it was a good episode. <laughs> shocking, dude. <laughs> Completely shocking, except for not at all in any way. Um, with that shit given to you in tow, one of the things we did with Ben, who was phenomenal, by the way, is we put together a heist team. The idea was that you are responsible for uh, drafting a three-person team is going to go and rob a bank. The three positions are the person who plans it, the person who's the muscle, and then the person who can slowly talk any teller who's losing their mind back into reality but still helping along. The role that we call the Ben Affleck role from the town. Um a wild episode, a lot of great uh, heist teams put together. But let me start it here, man. Who would your heist team be? Give us the planner, the muscle, and the person who calms them down. And they all have to be warriors? No, uh, but they do have to have a connection with the NBA, past or present. Nice. Okay. Um, you want to think on it, and we'll come back to you at the end of this episode? Yeah. That'd be great. Okay. Know that we didn't give Maxime any room like that. And because of that, he had some questionable choices, including, <laughs> <That's not true. laughs> including worrying about whether or not the bank was defended by ninjas, a concern <laughs> that no one has ever had at any stage ever. So we're giving you some time, which means your team better be pretty. Well, I just assumed the bank was defended by ninjas. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's actually pirates, dude. It turns out it's a pirate defended bank. So you have to be oh, very well. careful to uh, give you some time to think on that, all right? In fact, we won't put it towards the uh, end of the episode. Instead, let me give you boys an off-the-court report, something we haven't done for a while, and then MT will come to you and get those three names, yeah? So the -the off-the-court report's pretty simple, and normally speaking, it's saved for people who cover the team. The idea is, if you listen to this pod, you know what the hell is happening between the lines, but the guys who cover it see the things that happen off the lines and they can tell us stories about it. And this week, no guest, right? But I've got an off the court report and I'm kind of cheating a little bit because it happened on the court basically, but here it is. So I went to that first game against the Lakers and the thing that stuck out to me was the relationship between Steph and CP3. Here's my report. Every single time there was a timeout, or every single time both players were out of the game and they were both sitting, Steph and CP3 not only sat next to each other, but were having what looked just via body posture to be really happy conversations to the point that 
Steph was doing with CP3 what I thought I saw him doing with KD earlier in the relationship. The kind of thing where if, if somebody tells a joke, you over laugh or you just use your facial expressions to say, we're going to be friends for a long time. You know, the kind of things that you would use during a first date he was doing with Chris Paul. And so I don't I couldn't hear them. I wasn't remotely close. My seats aren't that good. But, you know, from from what I can tell, not only is Steph really invested in making sure that CP3 feels comfortable here and can contribute, but that investment is working. We are one game in and they seemingly already have a connection. So there's off the court report one. Here's the second one. And forgive me, it's a Lakers news thing, but um, it stuck out to me and it was hella funny. So Christian Wood, right? I had interest in Christian Wood. And from what I under, I've never watched him play from one of my teams, but from afar I've watched. And my understanding of Christian Wood is that he has $20 million a year talent but has an attitude, a fuck everybody, um, just presence that has forced his way out of multiple stops. And now he signed with the Lakers. And the idea I would imagine is, well, he's not going to do that with LeBron. And you've got to know, he has to know that all he has to do, dude, that all he has to do is just don't be an asshole. You know, your talent will take care of yourself, but show to the world that you can play within a team setting. Yeah. So that's our backdrop. I'm watching the game and it's about third quarter, th maybe uh, halfway through. And the Lakers are running a play. What look to call for a big man brings the ball up. They wait for Gabe Vincent to come around a screen. The big man gives the ball to Gabe Vincent. And then Vincent, I would imagine, is supposed to give it back to the big man for a three. So the play goes out. The big man throws the ball over to Gabe Vincent. Vincent uh, gets the ball, is lightly guarded, but decides to shoot it anyways. And the thing that stuck out was that when the big man threw the pass to Gabe Vincent, he kept his hands out, kind of almost an acknowledging of like, no, no, I'm getting it back. I know it's going to be the three. And even after Vincent shot it, he kept his hands out. Now, as kind of a, ah, what's going on, dude? You know, like, you should have passed it to me. And then the three went in. And that gentleman still had his hands out for another half second, just so Vincent could see, look, I know you made it, but come on, man. We know what the play was. I'll let you guess who that big man was. You know, the, the, the fact that it doesn't matter how many threes he hit, doesn't matter how many rebounds he got, doesn't matter if he hit Vincent with a nice three or a nice pass, none of that. We know what he can do on the floor. His job assignment in that game was to show the world, look, dude, don't be an asshole. And it came so naturally to him that he just couldn't stop it. He, he had to keep his hands out for an extra second. So, you know, maybe that's the exception to the rule. Maybe it works out and this dude, you know, resurrects his career. But based on a single play, I'm happy they didn't bring him in. Locker room issue immediately and a, um, and a very random and entertaining uh, set of events. I spent the rest of the game watching only Christian Wood and leaning over and talking to my wife about him, who did not care at all. She did not like not one observation did she find to be uh, entertaining. All right, I vamped. MT, who's your team? Um, I'm gonna go for the planner to be uh, Shane Battier. Oh, yeah. why? Because there was this video clip of him talking about how he guarded Kobe, and he was. Talking about it, he was like, yeah, if he does this move, then I just force him to the, this part of the floor because he shoots 27% from this part. But if I force him over here, then he only shoots 17% if he do, does two dribbles. And it was like, the way he broke it down was like a savant of math. I, you know, I was like Rain Man style. So I was like, okay, this dude is pretty smart. So I just figured he can put together a statistically significant chance of us getting away. 
Uh, I love that pick. And I've always assumed his brain is hella big because of the weird ass folds on his forehead. So, I mean, that must be showing bank high stability. Exactly. They're just, they're highway grooves of information. Just flowing back. I knew it. I knew it this whole time. I just, I hadn't been able to weaponize that information, but we have it now. Your muscle. Now, you know, my muscle is John Stockton. So, uh, (laughs) oh my God. A, great at assists. So he's going to hand the money to me after. He gets the actual money. But um, I think for muscle, you know, like I was like, oh, maybe you just go Marcin Gortat and just go Polish Hammer and, you know, just somebody who's legitimately muscle. But I think he calls too much attention to everything. So John Stockton walks into the bank and I don't think 80% of the bank even knows what's going on. I mean, you're 100% right, but I think you may have swung too far on the other side of the spectrum, dude. Like, on one side is definitely, like, you're completely inconspicuous. The other side makes you an effective muscle man. You are all the way inconspicuous. Like, yes, no one will notice him, but also he is not enforcing anything. You don't have to worry about fucking John Stockton. I don't know, man. He grabbed a lot of jerseys on those screens for Carl Malone. He's, he's got some oh, okay. sneaky strength. I tell you what, I will concede that if the ninjas guarding that bank are wearing jerseys, John Stockton will probably help you out. Finish it out. Who is the uh, the Ben Affleck? <laughs> um, it's Pirates, too. Um, yeah. And the Ben Affleck, uh, you just got to go Warriors. I'm just going to go Steph. Um, I think that, you know, if if you need somebody to do the gift of gab and and talk your way up and have good media training background behind it, I feel like Steph just always gives the right answers, um, you know, whether or not they're full of insight, it's, it's always the right thing that he says. So Steph, Steph is always the right answer. And, um, to no one's surprise, I am incapable of learning. Let me explain what I mean. So later in this episode, I have an apology ready. It's an apology to Dario Sarek. One of the things you missed out on MT is we gave him shit about his facial hair. Turns out he has a cleft lip. And now oh. I'm the asshole for having said that at all. So I have that apology. I have that apology <laughs> on page three. In the first paragraph, I shit out Shane Battier's forehead. So my apologies <laughs> to Shane Battier, to Dario Sarek, to everybody out there. This is a silly show with silly opinions. And my apologies to anybody I offended. Boys, golden questions. All right. So we have been getting, and for those who are new to the show, golden questions are version of a mailbag. Um, the always deal with the Warriors occasionally get personal. This one does both. And we've been getting golden questions that I've just been kind of keeping in pocket until we got a three man booth going. So here we are. And here's the first, uh, let's hear from you, Marcus, because we haven't heard a, a warrior's opinion for a little while. Drop a grade for Mike Dunleavy's off season. how do you do? Um, I think incomplete. Uh, I think you have to wait to grade it. Um, I mean, on the surface level, you just look at what we traded a lot of youth for a lot of veteran leadership. We're obviously prioritizing this window and um, our vets. We're the oldest, one of the oldest, if not the oldest team in the league. Um, so, you know, I think it, it remains to be seen if those moves that capitalize on these next two, three years paying it out, you know, because we were supposed to have our next Steph, Clay, and Dre was supposed to be, you know, Poole, Kaminga, and Wiseman, and we we see how that's going. I think that's fair. What I would say is I think he was given a direction. 
You know, I, I don't think that he was given carte blanche and allowed to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. So it would be like someone, if you were a park guide that was taking a group around, but your boss has told him exactly where to go. And then that's where you went and came back. Any reviews wouldn't necessarily be fair. Whereas if it was just up to you, wherever you wanted to go, then, then you could be, uh, you could be graded on it. And in this instance, I think they told him, stay the course, you know, here are the rookies who we already wanted. These are the types of veterans we want to bring in. And I think he accomplished all the goals that they put in front of him. But if it was a wider analysis, you know, if it wasn't like he was just given this plan to execute, I'd give him less, uh, a lower grade. We just saw last night Cam Whitmore, the guy who slipped all the way past the Warriors and was a possible lottery pick, look really good in his Houston debut. Um, Jordan Poole, we'll find out. I mean, that goes towards that incomplete grade. So I think that it was a mission accomplished scenario for Mike Dunleavy, but I, we can still take a couple of shots at it if that makes any sense. It does. <clears throat> I think, you know, Cam, a lot of people passed on Cam. So yep. to be fair to Mike, Mike D, he wasn't alone in that. And they did a recent survey of NBA GMs and they, um, they valued um, pods as a top five steal in the NBA draft. So, I think GMs and you know the the minds who are a lot smarter than ours at, at talent evaluation are are all in on on pods. But I agree to the the eye test. It looks like Cam Whitmore was was a big whiff. Yeah, but I mean, sure. At the same time, we also drafted a big man uh, in the second position at one point, and then got ruthlessly mocked by pretty much the whole league as everybody said, well, it takes years for big men to develop. It takes much longer than smaller positions. So to think that Cam Whitmore, when the games actually matter, is going to be able to make enough of an impact that we would have been patting ourselves on the back if we picked him in 19 and settled letting him slip all the way to 20, I think is a, a little bit premature. But I think it does speak to the larger point, which is that as Draymond said, we do have a size issue, and I think it was exposed in that Lakers game. You know, I mean, Anthony Davis, whoever, felt like they were repeatedly going at Kevon Looney, repeatedly going at Dario Saric, um, and then when either of them were in the game, it was Kaminga. You know, they're exploiting our size, and granted, the Lakers are a big team. We know that, but so is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So is Nikola Jokic. The people that are at the top of the league that everybody has as the title favorites or in the title contention are large teams, and it is concerning that we you know we didn't make a step up in that regard i think it's fair to give him an incomplete but i would say you know we're not that's because we're not at the end of term yet right you get a grade for your work over the course of the season let's say but this was you know he took a midterm here um and i i would give him a, a b minus i think he did a fantastic move by taking chris paul because that's probably you don't you don't pass on a player of this caliber, as I've learned, but it really did sort of hamstring us from using resources to go after somebody that maybe isn't as talented overall as Chris Paul, but fits more of a position yeah. of need that we needed. I'll dig at, and and I think that uncovers the one thing I feel very comfortable giving Mike D shit over. Um, and first, kind of an understanding. Anyone who's been in their job for a long time knows this. With experience comes patience. You don't rush anymore. The, the easiest version is an NFL quarterback, right? They can't read anything. Everything's going too goddamn fast. And then once they've done it for a while, the offense slows down. They know to read two, three uh, reads and then go to that, that last receiver. In this instance, I think that Mike D was told, fix the locker room and bring in someone to do a change of pace. And I think that, you know, he, he saw Chris Paul become available and he pounced. If I'm going to give him crap, I wouldn't have minded if he was a little patient with that. Chris Paul probably would have been available regardless of how long he waited. And had he waited longer, 
they might have been able to get Drew Holiday. Now, maybe the team prefers having Chris Paul, and this is the exact outcome they want. But if I'm going to give him shit for anything, that's what I'd give him shit for, is that he didn't have the experience enough to wait and see what all the options were before he made that move. I won't add the minus, but I will say B, if forced MT. So I heard you incomplete. That's fair. And we'll revisit this. But as of now, if forced to give a grade, that grade is? I would go with B as well um, if we're doing midterms. And I, I think it's just because Paul and, and Saric are um, veteran leaders who fill, to me, more likely one-to-one comparisons to um, Otto Porter and Bielitsa. Just that role of a veteran, understanding the yep. system, understanding their role, buying in. Like Draymond said, he said he, he took for granted the fact that the chemistry that they had built over 11 years was, you know, wasn't how it always would be. And then he realized it after, you know, the punch in, in last season. So it's not something that you build back right away, but I think having the right people in place helps it. And I think those are two people who will help build the culture um, back the right way and are okay with a smaller role than what their talent probably could command. And um, so, yeah, I'll give it a B. <clears throat> we'll go personal for our next question. Quote, huddle boys, if you pick up food from a restaurant after ordering it to go, do you leave a tip? So I, I'll tell you right now, this is a thing that's plagued me for years. I'm not sure what the right move is here. Um, Maxime, you seem to be the most like generous of us, probably. I mean, I think Marcus is going to tell us he's that generous, but I think you probably do it. Dude, are you dropping? Are you dropping tips? I do. I always do. Yes. My 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 general take. And look, I think there is a lot of reason to be annoyed at this because it's now it's not even just picking up food at some random takeout restaurant. It's also like going to the Seven Eleven because they're all using these square services, and they'll just be like, "Let's see if these guys tip," and flip the screen around, and you have your options. And then they're doing shitty stuff like putting the most amount of tip on the left instead of the right. It's all bananas. But I've had some friends that manage restaurants, that serve within restaurants, and and over and over again, I see how hard these people work and I see how underpaid they are relative to the industry. I don't make a ton of money, but you know, I'm in a position where I can provide a little bit, and so I'm going to. I just feel like it's it's not hard for me to do and it helps them out more than that money's gonna help me. Do you tip at 7-Eleven? Hell no. <laughs> I'm just saying I understand the frustration, right? It's like a slippery slope of a thing, you know, <laughs> where we didn't used to ask for tips on takeout. Now we do. But especially in the pandemic when we're when people were doing takeout at the expense of dine-in situations, you know, it's like, yes, it's easier for us, but people rely on the overall income. We have a well, I don't need to get into the economics of it. I'll leave it there. Sir, that slurpy machine was amazing. Here's a here's a tip. <laughs> <laughs> I have to struggle. So I, I am a man of routine to no one's surprise. And there is a soup spot I go to constantly out here in the city. San Francisco Soup Company. I like it. Um, and in that post pandemic, dude, there's not a lot of people downtown. And so I see the same people and I'm sure they recognize me. And there's that move of I go in, I get the soup. And then just as Maxime's described, if you're using a credit card, the thing flips over and you have to press the button, you know, 20%, 10%, 5%, nothing. And I will occasionally 
like dip into the 10%, but that's only because the guy is staring at me right there, you know? And like, I think they can tell like what it is. Like uh, the, they know that the total will jump a certain amount. And so out of peer pressure, I will do it. If I'm being transparent, if I'm left by myself, if that dude had to like take a call, you know, like after I, I ran the card, I'm going 0% and getting the fuck out of there hella fast. So <laughs> I'm selfish and susceptible to peer pressure. MT? Uh, yeah, I do it and, and not just saying it, but I worked in the service industry um, growing up. I had a, a few jobs in it and just appreciate the tips. So um, I just try to pay it back for the people who tipped me when I was in that position. Uh, but I agree that the pressure to do it is just unrelenting and it's it's a lot. So I, if it's to go, I, I do the 10 percent, 15 if if they only have. 2015 and five, but um, I'm not happy about it. I feel like it's it's just kind of a I don't know. It's, it's the pressure of it is is weird. I have zero experience working in food, but I've had a ton of jobs that required too much of me. And you know what kind of tips I got? Zero. I didn't get shit. They didn't think about that at any time in any place ever. So I get where you're coming from and I won't get my, I'm already the asshole on this show, but I won't get myself in too much trouble. I'll just leave it there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Back to basketball. Maxine, take this one first. And it's the issue everyone has pointed out. Everyone knows finishing games. Finishing games is what matters. Not starting, finishing games. But it's always in the context of who starts, right? We hear that sentence when they're defining who should start for the Warriors. and never continues on to say, and this is who should finish. So finish the sentence for us. Who should finish games for the Golden State Warriors, Maxine? Right. So I feel like the conversation of who should start games is is all about the individual players and sort of their, their feelings around um, what it feels like to have their name called as the lights are dim, you know, and everybody's roaring for them because you don't get your name called if you're coming off the bench. I think that matters for people, right? So the finishing the game, and we're talking strategy, this is X's and O's. Obviously, Steph Curry is going to be there. Obviously, Draymond Green is going to be there. Um, I would say, obviously, Wiggins is going to be there because we just talked last time about him being our number two guy. I, the rest is going to be a little bit matchup dependent. I think if the teams are bigger, Kavon Looney is just so solid. He's never going to be the the like lob threat necessarily that somebody like a JaVale McGee was for us, but he's also never going to be out of position. He's never going to fuck up and you need somebody who's just not going to fuck up. We don't, I don't trust any other big on our team to the degree that I trust Kavon. So that leaves one space left. And I think the obvious omission here from who we hear often called out at the start of the lineups is Clay Thompson. You know, and that's also that would either be Clay or Chris Paul, and that's what it's going to come down to, and that's what I mean by it's matchup dependent. I think more likely than not, it's Clay, and that's for the simple fact that Clay can guard up. We've seen him be able to guard even up to the four position, and like I, I think Chris is going to get worked a little bit harder than that. He's older, you know. He's and, and we're hoping that Clay is moving back into um, a quicker step, and I would imagine Chris Paul is moving away from that quicker step. My analysis is pretty similar. 
Steph Dre Wiggs, put them in. Yeah, you know, let me put it a different way. Um, I think it's going to be dictated by the opponent or how well we happen to be playing. So three of those, Steph Dre Wiggs in, right? Then opponent has to be considered. If it's Phoenix and they've gone super small, then we probably lose Loon and we put in both Clay and CP3. If it's a slightly bigger team and we need the rebounding, then Loon's in there. And now we're looking at, well, how well is Clay playing? Is he super hot? You know, it's CP3. Do we need a more slow down, determined, designated offense? And that's why they brought him in, right? So that they could change the pace of the game. So it'll depend. I, I think it's kind of a cheating answer, but it's the real one. I don't think there is a, this is who needs to finish every game. You kind of have to, to roll with the punch. MT, do you agree? I agree. I think it's matchup dependent um, and who's hot. But another name I'll throw in there that I think will sneak into that lineup, depending on how much defense we need, is Gary Payton II. Um, he, Over who? Who do you sit? I mean, he's in that, that provisional slot of Clay, CP3, and then GP2 kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. I think Clay or, or CP3 sit um, for that. Or Loon sits and we bring in, we have push Dre to the five, Wicks to the four. Or play to the four. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then just have um, GP2 in there. And I, I only just say that because he, he plays so much bigger than his height, and we've just seen him be trusted in those situations where he's in there with three, four minutes to go, um, even two minutes to go. So I, I just history dictates that he will probably get some run if he stays in there as the ideal lineup, you know, TBD, yep. but I think he'll – He'll get his opportunities to prove that he should be in, in those lineups in certain situations. Here's our next question. Quote, who do you consider the best, the worst, and the league pass team this year? So best, worst, explain themselves. League pass, that's the thing you pay for and can now watch all teams. League pass team basically means you're uh, – the person who you are cheating with, you know, it's, it's the team who you're not actually associated with, but you happen to watch on the side and are entertained by, um, Maxime best worst league pass. Okay. So we're talking objectively here, right? So I like best, I mean, in my mind, the best team is obviously the Warriors. The team I'm going to be watching the most of is the Warriors, but I think best at this point, I mean, it's so fascinating. It, in some ways it might be cheating to say that if I say my best team is Milwaukee, then my league pass team would be Boston or vice versa. It's just so fascinating because you have such, um, a radical shift in how these teams play. You know, I mean, maybe Boston, we can say they're the worst. I think, their odds on favorites right now. Um, and Milwaukee is just going to be so fascinating to watch that pick and roll with Dame um, and Giannis. So I'm going to put them in worst. I don't know. It might be Detroit or it might be Charlotte. Um, I, I feel like Charlotte is more of the schadenfreude team, right? That's the team that I like love to laugh at right now. I just feel bad for the Pistons. They've just been in mediocrity for so long. And then Cade Cunningham has had a multi-year injury. Um, it's just, it feels bad to shit on them. So I'm going to give it to Charlotte. MT, same question. Um, best, I'm going to go Warriors. Uh, I, I think entertainment value, if I'm watching and want to be entertained, if I wasn't a Warriors fan, they're the sheer... Um, possibility of Steph going off and having a memorable moment makes him must-watch TV. Um, least would be the Wizard. Uh, not a fan of them, and shout out Scotty. Um, 
I, I just think the, you know, like I, I don't really want to tune in just to watch Jordan Poole fall down and Kyle Kuzma to get 27 points on a nightly basis. But, um, you know, that may just be me. And then uh, I do <laughs> league pass. I'm going to go with uh, Milwaukee. Now, Boston is up there, but I just to me, their games are going to be methodical and boring. Like, mm. you know, they're just they, they added the one player who's equally as like not passionate and, and methodical. Like Drew Holiday rarely smiles. He just hits a shot and just walks to the bench. Like, I don't want to watch, you know, a full season of that with Tatum and Brown. So um, it's interested to see how Dame and Giannis play together. And, um, you know, I think Milwaukee will be fun to watch. For me. All right. Best just go objective. I mean, it kills me to say this, but I grew with Vegas, Boston, that move for drew holiday makes them on paper, on paper, on paper, the best team in the NBA, I believe. So there's that league pass. OKC for me. If I'm just watching a team and want to be fired up, SGA, Chet, Holmgren, who we haven't seen shit of, both Jalen Williams, wherever the fuck they play, it's a fun team who plays a fun style who I think is finally ready to actually try to win games instead of stockpile draft picks. But honestly, boys, this question is mostly about the worst team for me. So here's why. So look at them, right? By record last year, Detroit, 17 wins, Charlotte, 27, that's the eastern side, West side, San Antonio 22, Houston 22. My pick, even though they have the most wins, is Charlotte. Now, talent reasons, there's, there's other reasons here. But if I'm being honest, there's a political reason here, and it's this. I hate Miles Bridges. I'm just going to say it. We haven't talked about it on this show at all. So for those who are not familiar with the story, on the eve of free agency last year, a story about Miles Bridges came out. To make sure that we don't get sued, here's a snapshot of that story from the New York Times. Quote, Miles Bridges, the NBA forward who pleaded no contest to felony domestic violence in the fall, has been suspended for 30 games, the league announced on Friday. Bridges, 25, had played for the Charlotte Hornets for four seasons before he was accused of assaulting his girlfriend in front of their children last June. Bridges was arrested in Los Angeles June 29th. Around that time, Michelle Johnson, a former college basketball player who has two children with Bridges, posted photos on Instagram showing what appeared to be bruising and other injuries on her body. She did not mention Bridges, and the post was subsequently deleted. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office, in a news release, accused Bridges of causing, quote, great bodily harm after pleading no contest to one count of felony domestic violence in November. Bridges was sentenced to probation and 100 hours of community service in order to attend counseling and parenting classes. Um, and then we go down a little bit. Two months ago, the Hornets gave Bridges a qualifying offer which brings him back into the league. So it looked like this guy, after beating his wife in front of his children, allegedly, was going to be out of the league, very justifiably, much like Kevin Porter in Houston. But he's not. Charlotte signed them. He's back. They gave a press conference in which they described why they brought him back. And so if I have to pick a team of those four who I would like to be the worst, it's not a fucking hard pick, dude. He should not be in any job, let alone a job that is reserved for the elite of the elite. And I think it's disgusting that it's back. But I'll turn it into a question, all right? In the past, in the past, maybe rewind the clock 15 years, this story doesn't get brought up. He comes back in. We don't hear about it again at all. Just basketball. But this isn't the past. 
you know, we're on the other side of me too. Hopefully we're in a new place, which leads to the question. Do you gentlemen think that there will be Miles Bridges stories throughout the year that people are going to hold his hand to this fire or will it just slowly become about basketball again? And you know, that's it. We don't ever talk about it. This, this went to a different path. Quickly. How's that for a loaded um, question? But I mean, will they, will they talk about it? I mean, it's just, it's not, of course we are not con condoning him and we don't have to go into the, the discussion of domestic abuse. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that we're very against that. But is the media now in a place when he comes into a new city, should he have to face questions about this? Because I say yes. It, it, uh, you know, the, it should be the first question he answers every time he gets up on that dais. Yeah, and I think he will. Um, unfortunately, I think the way our media cycle works is that he will get those questions and then they will slowly taper off and then it'll be back to basketball for him too soon. Um, you know, especially when you consider if what allegedly was, um, you know, stated it actually happened like the the damage to you know the other family members and the kids in particular is a lot longer lasting so um you know i do think it will go away unfortunately but there's you know like we have to i think we also have to put it into perspective of of how we deal with things and how we rationalize things as sports fans. Um, we should have been equally as up in arms for the entire season about um, Anthony Lamb, if we're going to go there, right? So the fact that he is out of the league and now he's in Australia playing, he didn't get another offer. Is that Miles Bridges played no contest, though. MT. Yeah, true. So, well, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's an enormous difference. Anthony Lamb steadfastly said, no, bullshit, that's not true. Whereas Miles Bridges got in front of a court and said, yep, I did that. Fair enough. Yeah. So apples to oranges. But I just think in general, when you're accused of a serious crime and, you know, the public court of opinion is, yes, you did that. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's just hard to separate the two, like apples and oranges. But at the end of the day, they're both yeah. Well, and, and sports is littered with stories where ultimately we cared about what happened between the lines, not outside of the lines, which is the only reason I'm bringing it up now, because it feels like we're in a different environment. Um, and I, and I hope it gets reflected, but I guess we won't know, you know, what we'll see. Um, be, I mean, even, even the, press conference where they announced that they had given him the qualifying offer. It, it contained all the phrases we're used to. And it just seemed like it shouldn't be uttered in this context. You know, like I, like I'd thank everybody for the, um, the patience they've shown with me. And I apologize to everyone who I caused embarrassment to including my family. And it's kind of the fuck do you mean embarrassment, dude? It wasn't embarrassment. You caused your family, you beat them. Um, but I digress to, uh, to put us on a less emotional topic, and Maxime, take this one. Who will have more technical fouls at the end of the season, Draymond Green or Dylan the villain? <laughs> I love uh, the conversation in our 
Patreon um, Slack channel about how like within five minutes of you talking about how Dylan Brooks had completely um, changed his image by not saying anything since his final press conference um, embarrassment against the Lakers and then playing shockingly well for Team Canada within five minutes he's getting ejected for a sack tap so uh, <laughs> for like a sack grab well. he, like, he came around a screen and either accidentally or purposefully grabbed that dude's balls which is uh, an interesting defensive set yeah i would say if he's um you know if we're saying that the things that draymond has done the stomp the kick mm. are intentional like dylan brooks is really pushing the line of what it what it looks like to be a horrendous actor because that looked way more intentional than some of the shit that i'm that i've seen draymond do i i don't know i i think I'd like to hope that the way that Draymond operates with some of his technicals is he allows himself to get more worked up. Like, don't get me wrong. Dude is emotional. But I think he – my hope is that he has a little bit more of an understanding of sort of the political value of getting that technical for rallying up the team. This is a more mature team. We have Chris Paul um, – who's also a part of this rotation to make sure that the young guys aren't sort of falling out of line. So I don't think that Draymond will need to as much. And I'm hoping that he proves me right, that he does have a little bit more self-control than leading the league in um, text, in which case I'm giving it to Dylan Brooks. MT, I'm going to change the question and I want the, the associated question I'm really interested in, but first a little explanation for those who may not have seen it. Yeah. So just as we said, Dylan Brooks had this great off season and everyone was kind of suddenly realizing his value. And then in their first preseason game, I think it was Daniel Theus. He's trying to get through a screen by Daniel Theus or Theus and seemingly purposely hits him in the balls. Down goes Theus, out goes Dylan. He gets ejected. And so after the game, they ask him about it. You know, did you feel like that you have a target on your back? They ask him and he asks to no one in particular, what's my nickname? And everyone's facial expressions scream, you have a nickname. And before anybody can answer shit, he goes, Dylan, the villain. I don't think he had that. I think he came up with that nickname, which leads to the follow up question. MT, is it ever OK to give yourself a nickname? <laughs> are you allowed to just be like, this is how I need to be named from here on out? And it's just accepted. Like, what are the rules on nicknames? Because I feel like he violated some here. The rule is you can't give yourself a nickname. That's for sure. Rule number one, it has to be given. Uh, rule number two is a lot of the times you can't like the nickname. Like most people don't love the nickname. Like Katie doesn't like the Grim Reaper. You, Bram, didn't like blessed ankles. Like, you know, it, was just, it's, it comes with the territory. So, um, yeah, Dylan the villain is something he definitely made up. I don't think anybody else in the league has ever called him that. Um, except for, you know, words that shouldn't be mentioned on a family friendly podcast. <laughs> I was immediately annoyed. The only successful self nicknaming scenario I've ever seen black Baba and Kobe. Mm. And it was right after kill bill two, where they had like multiple scenes dedicated to black mamas. And that fool came out talking about I'm black mama now, but pulled it off. And now it's history. And in, you know, <laughs> equally related news, Dylan Brooks and Kobe Bryant, different places in the league dude so you know i'm not sure if he's earned the right to uh to go through there maxi have you ever had a nickname you hated no no uh, my uh I, I was i was given the nickname simo 
by my friend's dad, but that's the only nickname I've ever had. I just went by Maxine my whole life. I've been given a recent nickname, The Hater. That is 100% true by more than a few people, and it is completely accurate. I hate so many things so frequently that it just uh, it just is what it is. You know, I mean, what the hell are you going to say? Well, you know, if anybody wants to write into uh, huddle at warriorshuddle.com and give any of us nicknames, I'm very curious to hear them. I think the hater is fine, but come on, we can do better for Bram. Uh, I think that's that's some low-hanging fruit, so let's try a little harder, fam. Lest you thought I was asking for another nickname, I am not. You can shoot those emails <laughs> immediately to these two fools. I do not need any other nicknames in our life. Um, I had another segment here, but we're going long and said I'll tease it. So... We are in the process of putting together a shirt that memorializes, celebrates, goes back into the Warriors' tenure in Oracle. And in fact, this shirt is going to celebrate the top 10 moments or top, we're not sure, however many moments. And that's the segment is we're going to figure out which moments need to be included in the shirt. We won't do it now. Instead, I'll just make it both a tease for a future segment and kind of a commercial for a future shirt. Um with that in mind, let me throw out, if you would like to get us an email, certainly not a nickname, but an email, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. You can send that to? Huddle at warriorshuddle.com. Yeah. Marcus, if they want to not listen to the past episode, where do they go for that, dude? Is there like a, a spot for that? or? Yeah, my house. We just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. There you go. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you real soon. Good, good.